It is a time when we need to walk closer to the Spirit than we ever have in our lives. And woe to the peoples and teachers and organizations that's not teaching a person to do so. I grieved in my spirit because of some of the counseling sessions I've been having lately and, and preachers that I've been counseling and, and watching what the devil has, has done to come in and take their lives and their ministries apart. And as the Lord began to minister to me, I heard different things through the grapevine, but I do understand that Satan has launched an all-out attack upon the body of Christ, particularly in the U.S., because she is a, a bloodline for the gospel, freedom of religion, and prosperity. So he's launched an all-out attack, and there's actually witches people involved with witchcraft, that sort of thing, that's fasting and praying, we'd call it chanting, to the prince of darkness, that'd be the head of his body, Satan, for the failure of the family unit, the destruction of your kids, destruction of your marriage, and the destruction of the morality of good, good moral Christian men and the morality of good, moral, Christian women. And he's in an all-out attack. And it began at least, at least a generation ago almost. He's been successful at it in this last generation because of the media. The media. Like no other tool that he's ever had, the media assists him in the beginning of the thought processes that are the uncaptivated thoughts that result in the high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God that result in imaginations empowered by emotionalism until the man is put into a stronghold which Jesus, Paul, listed as needs a weapon of God to pull it down. See, that's what he's talking about here. And most of the preachers I've counseled and good moral family men that have fallen and good moral family women who have fallen, most of them fell because they underestimated their enemy. They underestimated his militaristic, plotting, scheming abilities to plan the demise to immorality of a Christian body of believers his subtlety, his power to deceive, and then when they finally fall to the mess, they still don't understand that it was the final step to a, a plan that was masterminded, carried out with the efficiency uh, of the Roman Empire and its governments. In fact, that's what he likened it to. So they just think, well, I failed. They didn't just fall. It was the last steps in an organized plan. So most of us underestimate our enemy. This is why Jesus, when he warned, he said, you must be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, because I can promise you that a serpent, when he strikes, he has no intention leaving you alive. 
He has no intention on leaving you alive. An adder, a serpent, he strikes to kill. Yet he's cunning, sneaky, slithery. They, they get their prey generally because the prey doesn't know they're there. They're too slow to operate any other way. They fall out of branches on birds. They slither up to other reptiles. They don't even know they're there. They're so quiet. They sense heat. They're deadly. When he said wise as a serpent, he meant in deceptive cunningness, craftiness, and stalking. If you don't understand your enemy, how are you going to stand? Amen. There's Christians I know they're afraid to talk about. I'm not giving any glory to the enemy. Well, I'm not going to be stupid and stand there and say, I'm not giving any glory to the enemy by denying everything he's doing, hoping it'll make him go away. He won't. It's wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Because most of Satan's arsenal, most of it, most of it, is weaponry that can only be combated by the kind of wisdom that comes down from above. As James says, because the wisdom that's below is sensual, it's devilish. But he says, the wisdom that comes down from above is gentle, peaceable, it's easy to be entreated. And this is why when he says that you need to put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy, he also said, be strong in the power of his might. Then he said, put on the armor because the only way you can shift your strength to his strength is by putting on the armor. That is the power of his might. That's where your strength comes from. And I know in, in circles when we've taught on standing and carnality, I know of Christians and Christian groups, and it was a popular teaching that get up in the morning and dress themselves in the armor. I'm putting on the, the sandals shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and they slip their sandals on. And then I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness and latching the thing up. And now I'm, I'm buckling up my sword of the Spirit and my helmet of salvation, and they slip that on. And I'm girding myself, my loins up with truth, and they, they slip all these pieces on and go out to face the world. And you see, this is not what he's talking about. The reason he said wise as a serpent, because he's your enemy. When he strikes, he strikes to kill, but harmless as a dove. His arsenal is full of weaponry that can only be handled by the wisdom that comes down from above. In other words, to stand against him, you must be clothed in the armor. You see, the armor that he's talking about is the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, how does that cause me to stand against the wiles of that? I can tell you how. Because it is the wisdom that came down from above. It is the revelation of your righteousness. And if you understand it, you can stand in it. And he can't penetrate it. It's the revelation of it. It's the wisdom that revolves around it that he can't penetrate. It's not to walk around and say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, because you are. But it is the understanding that Satan has nothing powerful enough to remove your righteousness if you won't let him. 
So he has to come and introduce uncaptivated thoughts through the media or any other system he has available to get you finally to be confused, to not understand, for he can come in around that righteousness with any kind of legalism or anything else and defeat you. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole armor. I'm trying to make a point. When he says, your feet shod with the sandals or the preparation of the gospel of peace, I used to think that this is the shoes I'm supposed to wear, that if I wasn't running around preaching peace to every sinner that I've seen, then I wasn't mobilized by sandals of peace. You know, preparation, shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. I thought that shoes were to walk in and he wanted me to run around and preach peace. And that's true collectively from the word of God. But what he was talking about in respect to a Roman sandal, that they were so rugged that they could go on a forced march overnight for 30 miles and surprise their enemy in the morning. It was part of their strength. And if you don't think that the sandal was designed for every kind of terrain, think again. Have you ever looked at the geography in those areas? Man, they marched through rocks, rivers. And these sandals were designed to stand up, and then when they faced the enemy, they were designed to dig in and to hold their ground. You see, if the devil can come through uncaptivated thoughts and the cares of this life and indoctrinate you to worries and torment and fears, then he's removed your sandals and you can't stand anymore. Do you understand? These sandals, the preparation of the gospel of peace as a subject of my Prince of Peace, was designed for you to stand against his wiles. Do you understand? When he can get your sandals off, then it's hard to stand. That's why he said, wise as a serpent, yet harmless as a dove. I must understand how my enemy works. I must. If I can't, I will end up another religion. He will have talked me out of first the gifts of the Spirit then he will have talked me out of everybody being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Then he will have talked me out of salvation and finally talked me into a social club. It doesn't care if it takes him three generations. By golly, he'll neutralize me and the move I started or you and your children and the move they started if you do not understand his tactics. Yes, I want to understand my enemy. And I want to understand how he works. And I'm grieved. I'm grieved not that my peace is gone, but I'm grieved that I'm just steps away from sliding in and out of intercession for these people. It's the whole reason they fail is because they underestimated their enemy underestimated their enemy. Now I'm flowing in the spirit so it's hard for me to stop and go back and read. But see, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The strongholds that he's talking about here is a prison. 
It is a kind of prison that locks a man's life up. He said the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Put on the whole armor. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. All the things Jesus purchased for you and I. Righteousness. What's the helmet of salvation? My God, it protects my mind against legalism. The law was always attempting to penetrate the early church. I am justified by grace. Glory. So he says, our weaponry is mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? What kind of stronghold, what kind of prison could the devil throw a guy in? Could he possibly erect that it would take a weapon specifically designed by God to pull it down? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? It means if you didn't have God's weaponry, what chance would you have of barnstorming that stockade? He said, our weapons are mighty through God to pulling down these strongholds. Now, I would think that any kind of prison that would take a weapon of God to pull down, I would think it would, it would almost be like Satan with his principalities, his chief wicked spirits, that they back up on one end of the universe and charge the United States and explode like an atom bomb right in the middle of our legislation. See, but he told you what these strongholds consist of. And it's shocking. He said, here's the prison that men are put in. Here it is, he said. Here it is. Here's the prison that causes the weaponry of God, the only thing available to pull it down. Here's the prison. He said, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's the prison. That's it. It consists of a way a man thinks that puts him in prison. This is why half of the revelation of Paul revolved around putting off the old man and being renewed in the spirit of your mind after the inner man and in true holiness. In Romans 12, from Ephesians 4 to Romans 12, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove the good, the acceptable, the perfect will. That half of his revelation, half of his gospel revolves around you being delivered from the old ways of thinking through transformation to take on the mind of Christ because that's where your liberty lies. To him that believeth, all things are possible. And nothing should be impossible to you. Well, why can't I believe? Because my thoughts are crazy. Because my thoughts are crazy. Because if the Apostle Paul warned that this is a prison, this is a prison, then it is a prison. God knows how many times he's told me to warn you that the Islamic world is locked up in a prison. Can't get out. Who sold them the bill of goods? Who indoctrinated them? 
There's no steel bars holding them. It's all in their mind. The African mind with their paganism and their witchcraft is another flavor of religion. They've been deceived by another kind of principality, yet their whole prison is in their mind. The oriental mind with their wise men philosophies, searching for life, and missing the one standard that didn't even come from this planet. All truth revolves around. You've got a copy of it in your lap, and the faster you transform to it, the better off you'll be, my friend. Because all the wisdom every nation has to offer, it did not come down from above. It's from beneath, and it's sensual, and it's devilish. But the wisdom that comes down from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be, and it's the only standard of truth, not only in this galaxy, but in the entire universe. And if you conform to anything else, you are in for a bad ride, my friend. If the Word of God says talk in tongues, then talk in tongues. The Western mind, we think we're so smart. We're the leading nation. We've got our pride, you know. We have the answers to the world's problems. And thank God for the U.S., big brother. We feed so many people. We give so much to the gospel. I thank God. And the devil has continually attempted to penetrate all our forces in the United States. One of the devilish, most sensual, hell-bound things he's done is brought this new age philosophy, new age, old devil. Old devil. See, the prison's in the mind. The difference between you and a multimillionaire who, who got out and made his millions is not the millions. It's where each of you chose to stop in your own personal prison. You're having a good time. Me too. So my heart's been grieved and I've been in and out of the corner of intercession for many of my friends who've been deceived and they have fallen to lots of the traps of the enemy simply because they underestimated him. So I said, Lord, if I'm to be wise as a serpent, I need to understand completely how the devil does this. You know, because I know the devil just doesn't walk up more or less and capture everybody suddenly and they fall to immorality he has to take that system first of all using uncaptivated thoughts that graduate to the high things continually hammering and exalting themselves against the knowledge of god and what you know the word to say in a christian's life with the full intention of unseating god and replacing him with themselves that finally become the imaginations that have no foundation of truth to them that's empowered by emotionalism that finally enslaves them. 
Now, have you ever wondered why things come in waves? It seems like all of a sudden, everybody's getting a divorce, both in the church and out. Divorce is at an all-time high rate, so 50%. One nation, he'll starve to death. Another one, he'll demoralize. These same tactics he's using on the world as well as the body of believers. And divorces up to 50% is a little lower in born-again circles, but not a whole lot. How does a guy fall to this kind of immorality? And what takes the gusto out of him where he doesn't want to fight for his marriage anymore? He doesn't start suddenly. It started with unchecked, uncaptivated thoughts that graduate to high things. In other words, these uncaptivated thoughts are first the temptations thrown your way, but then they conceive and become the lusts that becomes the sin that brings forth the death. But first, they're just uncaptivated thoughts. You don't deal with them properly. So then they take on power and become a high thing that has power to war against what you know to be the knowledge of God in your life. But the fortress, the stockade, the prison consists of imaginations. Now, imaginations is a way a man thinks that has no foundation of truth to it. Like an Islamic soldier. He's caught in an imagination that has been indoctrinated to him that has no truth, no basis, no foundation, yet he's enslaved in it, and if you try to get him out of it, he'll kill you. It's in his mind. Yet here you sit, little Christian goody-two-shoes, and it's only for the mercy of God that you were born in America and that you're sitting here born again and getting filled up with the word of God. It's only his mercy. You could have been born in Islamic country and indoctrinated by your elders. If so be, your chances of going to heaven is almost 99.5% in the negative. Now we're talking about a prison. Now, when we think of a demon-possessed person, we think of some slobbering idiot. And you know a lot of them are like that. They've been reduced to that, but that's his final stages. They don't start like that. That's where the rubber meets the road. Every demon-possessed person is in a raving maniac that tracks your kids into the brush. And he hadn't got enough sense to dress himself in the morning. Where do you think that a lot of people's genius comes from out there? You think that all devils are maniac, are legions, that prey on people in graveyards? That's the basis for all the horror movies. No. No, some of your people that's possessed, and I mean highly possessed, as possessed as possessed can be, that these unclean spirits are instructed to hide behind flamboyant 
personalities and they get them into high places, educational structures. They get them into the media. Where do you think that the magazines and all the media and the articles come from that take the morals of the family unit a step backwards every day? And is it acceptable? Of course it's acceptable because five PhDs are behind this devil. And who do you think chooses the programming that comes into your homes through television? Huh? If the devil is going to seduce a generation, he has flamboyant personalities that are as possessed as possessed can be, and he gets them into key places like the media. He gets them into key places over educational systems, and they start with the uncaptivated thought business in the privacy of the homes where you can lend yourself in the soul realm to more and more junk until it pushes your emotional line of what's right and wrong back so far that it begins to war against the knowledge of God. And buddy, your demise is starting and you're not even smart enough to know who's taking you apart. Yes. And where do you think pornography comes from? I mean, how do you think the devil fights legislation against it? And all these, I am Mr. Intelligent, having all these people on the program. It's my body. I can do what I want with it in abortion issues. Who do you think pushes the line of immorality back? What do you think it's all heading for but high things until finally good moral businessmen in the church, good moral women, that finally they lend themselves to so much of this imagination, visual stimulation that starts creating emotional flows in a person that becomes high things, that starts warring against his soul. It doesn't matter how beautiful his wife is. This thing is not logical anymore. It starts fueling lusts, he says, when temptation, and he gives in to temptation, he says, when it conceives, when it conceives, it, it brings forth sin, because first it's temptation, it's in the uncaptivated thought realms until it lays a hold of you, and at that point graduates to the high things or becomes the lusts that are fueled now by perversion, the healthy relationship between a man and his wife, a woman, her boyfriend, boyfriend with his girlfriend, it leaves the acceptable limits and starts being fueled by lust. It doesn't matter how beautiful the man's wife is. This spirit demands sacrifice and it won't rest until he runs after other women. It doesn't matter how beautiful his, his own wife is. See, this person's being taken apart. And how do you think it all starts? when Ed Cole preached to maximize manhood in one of Copeland's ministries, one of his conventions. Preachers think, preachers. Are you ready for this? Between a third and a fourth came up for lasciviousness or filthiness of the flesh that revolved around personal, personal, sexual pornographies and abuse of their own body. A third. The person that gets enslaved in this kind of thing feels trapped. 
many of them lift their hands and they worship God and they pray over your meals. And when I say worship God, they go through the antics of it. They carry on church positions. They're in well standing. They get trapped because they can't tell the people closest to them because they respect them, have faith in them, and love them. So they get trapped in this thing and don't want to hurt the people around them. God, if you only know how many preachers I've had to counsel. You ever wondered why these things comes in waves? The devil started plotting the demise of this morals of this generation a decade ago. A generation ago. Forty years. And don't think the media didn't help him. It did. It helped him tremendously. But let me tell you why it comes in waves. It comes in waves because the devil will gather his principalities together over the United States and he'll tell them. He says, I want you to take every unclean spirit under your command. The powers, if necessary, the rulers of the darkness, organizational class of spirit, and the untold millions of unclean spirits. He says, and I want you to take every unclean spirit at your disposal and simultaneously begin to break the morals down of the body of Christ. I want you to specialize on divorce of preachers and marriages and immorality of the saints. I want you to major on it. So these unclean spirits will begin manipulating, moving men to high places to affect your thinking through the media, through the educational system, through the literature that's in our homes, until this whole process begins. And so the principality will instruct his powers. He will instruct the rulers of darknesses and they'll collect all these unclean spirits together and they will begin an onslaught on the body of Christ at once until they bring it to a fullness and destroy everybody they can destroy. And then when that wave subsides, the devil will begin the momentum of another one and prey on a whole other set of human beings' weaknesses. Now, you don't have to tell me. I know some of you are caught up in that kind of mess. I wouldn't even ask you. And I'm not going to go very much longer. But I'm going to say this to you. The devil's too smart to try to originate anything. He's too stupid. The only thing he's originated is sin. And that was his rebellion against God. He's too stupid. But he's smart enough to know that God loves human beings so much that the system that he used to get us into the kingdom would work effectively to get every believer indoctrinated or keep them in his kingdom, Satan's kingdom. So he knows that when God said, how shall they hear unless a preacher sent, that you're sitting there as an old sinner. And all of a sudden you hear the word and you see the life and the example and everything of the preacher and the people. And so you start hearing and it starts changing your thought process and you believe, well, maybe this Jesus is real and you're accepting and you're born again and then come your teachers and the transformation of the soul begins until you're totally set free. And the devil knew that all he had to do was reverse that process and he could enslave you again. I mean, he knew that God loves human beings so much there couldn't be a better process. See, you and I exist on three planes. There ain't another creature like us. Spirit, soul, and body. My spirit loves to fellowship with God. 
It's seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And the ache in my heart cannot be quenched outside of the fellowship with my Father. And worship helps. And praying in tongues helps. But my spirit demands fellowship with somebody I can't even see. And you know it. And there's nothing on earth like it when your soul's in fellowship with your spirit. There's nothing like it. But my spirit was designed to fellowship with God, to commune with Him. He can't live without it. That's why people in religion have just totally dried up like a pot shear. I mean, they're, they're so dry if a little wind come and just blow their spirit right out of their soul. They're so dry because there's nothing will feed your spirit except mysteries, that is. The fellowship and relationship, the mind of God, your salvation relationship with Him. See, nothing. Nothing feeds your spirit except His presence and His Word. Glory to God. We've been starved so bad in, in many circles, starved so bad that our, our poor spirit is so dried up that our soul is at total mercy of the world. So we've got nothing left but double standards. My spirit demands fellowship with God, yet my soul is called my soul because it's my soul. It's solical. It demands socialization. That's why God created Eve. He says it's not good that man should abide or live alone. Because in socialization, in my soul realm, it demands fellowship with other people. My soul doesn't fellowship much with God. My spirit does. But my soul demands, it cries for fellowship with people. It's a social little thing. It's real social. This is why when preachers discover that the socialization of souls will cause their church to grow, they finally shove the Word of God into a 15-minute slot, and they have youth, and they have unmarried, and married, and elderly. And if they can think of any other kind of programs, they have them. Because we get together and we socialize and do our exploits and tell of our, each other's achievements. It's got to be because we have to have, we have to have socialization. I can't get along. That's why he created Eve and gave her to Adam so they could socialize. It's not good, he said, for a person to be alone. And it's because of that aspect. Now, people will run around and say, and Paul advocated it, my spirit's in fellowship with God. He's my husband. He's all I need. Yes, he may be. But he won't be all you need unless you have total transformation of the soul. Do you understand that? So my soul demands fellowship. I like to tell you about my achievements. You like to tell me about yours. We like to talk about our conquests, our achievements, and socialization. But when you let that replace the operation of the Spirit in the church, you have just signed the failure warrant for a whole church full of people. It won't hold you when hell falls. You've got to have more to draw on. The root system's got to come from the Spirit. So God created my soul uniquely, my friend. It's unique. My soul 
It's created to socialize. Therefore, it will transform to its surroundings. If I need to plow the ground and plant because I'm in an agricultural region, then my soul will conform to the knowledge, to the ability, to the people, because that's the way it's created. It will adapt and overcome. You can put me in the tundra of Alaska or Russia and eventually I'll learn to eat the fat with the Eskimos because my soul has the power to socialize and transform me to my surroundings and consequently the devil knows that that indoctrination tool is as powerful for him as it was for God all he has to do is pipe the socialization of your soul in through your television, in through the media, in through the printed page and the educational system, and eventually you will socialize, adapt, and become unless you get into fellowship with God. So my soul is created by God to conform to what I willfully submit myself to. And what got preachers into the mess, and David Wilkerson prophesied it 25 years ago, 22 years ago, when he said that there'll be a day when dirty movies and all that thing will be piped into the homes of the clergy so they in the privacy of their own rooms can be taken apart. And yes, sir, now through satellites which have been put up and systems of communications. I mean, everything the devil wants you to know can be put into every nook and cranny in every village. So the devil knew that God had the system. He had the way. That how shall they hear unless a preacher sent through indoctrination first of the soul, the born-again experience, and then the walk in the spirit to the transformation of the soul to finally the walk with God. But just the devil knows that if you don't get the transformation that he can start the process all over and put you in a stronghold, you may hate yourself, but you'll be in it nevertheless. I would reverse the process. I'd reverse the process. You hearing me? Same thing will get you out of poverty. I would reverse the process. I would start captivating my mind with God's thoughts. This is why Augie, stand up Augie, I know you preached about it, that when the strong man came through indoctrination and tried to take Augie apart, he will tell you that most of his salvation was that he read the Word of God from cover to cover every two weeks for a solid year the Old and New Testament, through every two weeks, completed the whole Bible every two weeks for a year. It took him up to six hours a day. But it traded in the thoughts that the enemy was using to disassemble him for God's thoughts. Because you will not... I mean, your emotions cannot stay out of check, out of sync with God, cannot stay out of sync when you pour his thoughts through your spirit for six hours a day. You can't even stay broke. So when a person's in a stronghold of imagination, you have to understand his emotions are gone. 
That's what imaginations is. Way down in his spirit, he wants to serve God, but the rest of him feels like there's no hope because he's went up and bawled and repented and done all those things and just come back on him again. He did everything the deliverance preacher said. He had him lay hands on him, counseled a couple of times privately with people, prayed him, promised not to tell anybody. And then go out believing he was free. Fall right back in the same slime pit. We've had a few international ministries that can testify. They fell right in front of everybody. See, instead of criticizing, you need to know what got them in. If you know what got them in, you know what get them out. Reverse the process. Your soul will do it. See, your spirit will starve to death if your soul doesn't take in the information to feed him. Go on. Change the process. So I didn't know what to do with some of the preachers. I had to be frank with you until Augie came and I heard him ranting and raving and he probably didn't even know what he was saying completely. Because I said, well, pray in the Holy Ghost. I don't feel like it. Hmm. Okay. Well, how about uh, worshiping God? I don't want to. He said, why should I go in the closet and worship God? I'd rather do the other stuff. Well, why are you counseling with me? Because I want to be free. I want to be free. I just don't want to even have the strength to do it. I'm gone. I'm finished. I says, well, how about, uh, how about confessing the word? I don't feel like it. Don't want to. And I sat in there praying when this one preacher had been disassembled. And I said, God. This other pastor came to me and he said he just got through counseling one of us up at the altar and he said the same thing. He says, I didn't, I, I finally told him this too. I didn't know really what to tell him. Says, I said, well, what, will you read the word of God for two hours a day? Would you do that? And then Old Testament an hour and the New Testament an hour and just start over on both of them when you get to the end? Would you do that? I says, no matter what slime rock you crawl out from under, huh? Will you? I mean, dress the lady, send her home, and get your Bible out and read it two hours. But I don't feel worthy. Hang the worthy stuff. You're going to feel hell. So go on. No matter how bad you feel, how slimy rock you're under, how out of control your emotions are, just take it and just start reading a couple of hours. If God's thoughts can flow through you a couple of hours a day, pretty soon they'll start arresting the uncaptivated thoughts. And if you keep doing it, just a string of them running through you. And read them out loud, running through you, running through. Read it out loud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Read it out loud. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in the darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God. He was not that light, but came to testify of the light, that that light was a true light. It shineth on all men that cometh into the world. Hour after hour, a couple of just 
Let the thoughts of God pass through you, and an amazing thing will begin to happen. Pretty soon, them emotions you were looking for, the want to, it'll slowly begin to creep back into your soul. And at times when you finish reading, you'll feel like worshiping. And you'll start feeling like praying. And you'll reverse the process and come back. Did you have a good time? Yes, sir. I just want to cry. I hurt so bad. It's a form of intercession. I have been hurt. But he talks to me about it, like he did this morning. Good stuff. Amen. Well, why don't you stand up?